0: For well, sometimes the farmer is the uh, selling the, data, the pineapple product to the middleman and then they expect the one dollar per each. But the middleman is selling to the market at the one one piece maybe the tenth cent and then the farmer just know about after the middleman and the selling to the market. Oh oh my product is just ten cents So this is the typical the farming supply chain. That's why the farmer is always gambling. As market price high, it's lucky they get the money. But market price low, they die.
1: Hi, I'm Amanda Kua, and this is One More Scoop. Here... We're sitting down with Southeast Asia's top founders, executives, and investors to have honest conversations about their personal journeys and find out what really happens behind the scenes. This episode's a little different from the usual because we don't have just one, but two guests today. And yes, it was a fun change. I'm speaking with the two co-founders of Malaysia's farm-to-table startup, Sekai Marche, which has connected F&B retailers, hotels, restaurants, and cafes directly with farmers in Japan and Malaysia since 2018. They have over 350 farmers on board, offering a selection of over 4,000 product SKUs to meet practically every culinary need. I'm speaking with Ami Sugiyama, the co-founder and CEO, and her co-founder, Shusaku Hayakawa, and he's the co founder and director. Ami was previously in the tea importing and exporting business and ran her own cafe before joining Deloitte, where she met her co founder, Shu. Shu was senior manager at Deloitte, supporting companies going into the global agriculture sector, and he had also been managing director for agriculture companies in Japan and Hong Kong. But no, that's not the only way. Shu has dipped his toes into the world of agriculture, and you'll find out the rest of this podcast. I had a great chat with Ami and Shu, and I hope you'll enjoy. Hi, Ami. So nice to meet you. It's the first time I get to speak with you and I've written your article about your Series A. So I'm very much excited to find out more about you.
2: Oh, thank you very much. We've just done the Series A in the past three months. When was it? December. Sorry, it was December.
1: Yeah, so I wrote the article and I was like, how did I not know about this company before? So I am really excited to to speak with you. I think the first question I always try to ask people about for the podcast, for these conversations is, can you tell me a little bit about your background? Where did you grow up? Was it in Japan?
2: First of all, yes. We started as two Japanese here, Ami and Shuru. We are two Japanese. We started this Sekai Moshe in Japan and Malaysia in 2018. I've been here in Southeast Asia about like 10 years. But the first time I came here was to... Uh, up my F&B business. So I was running my own cafe and restaurant and then I also started to import Japanese green tea and then sell to consumers here. But I faced a big problem of the sourcing for my shops. So I couldn't really find the products I want and then even if I found, but it was not easy for me to uh, reach out to the products because it was a very complicated supply chain. So yeah, that's why I started to have something like a platform to connect the demand and supply. So yeah, this is how uh, I came from. But our platform is to connect the farmer and the restaurant. So I experienced as a consumer build, but my co-founder, Shu, is coming from the farmer. He used to, then he was also uh, used to be an engineer. So he also, his own experience to start this platform as a build of the farmer.
1: So that's how you guys started out. Yep. So both of you sort of started by solving your own problems, I guess. <laughs> yep. Yep. Mm. And how about you? Like, where did you get started? Like, your childhood, where did you grow up in Japan? What were your parents doing?
2: Oh, yeah. I was born in a small town. Shizuoka Prefecture in Japan It's very famous for the highest mountain in Japan, like Mount Fuji.
1: Really? So that's where you grew up. Did you go to Mount Fuji early in your childhood often or did you not go?
2: <laughs> I never climb up. It's good to see, but yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, it's okay. I would probably not have climbed the mountain either. if I can just look at it every day. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, this is the best.
1: How about your parents? What were they doing? What were their jobs and what were their influence on you?
2: My parents are quite like normal workers but I think I was maybe like influenced by our grandpa. He was doing his own business and then my dad also uh, was doing his own business when I was very small. So I'm not 100% sure like where my entrepreneurship comes from but could be influenced by my father or could be like the grandpa.
1: How about their personalities? What kind of people were your parents? What did they enjoy doing, or and enjoy doing with you?
2: My parents, I think their personality is quite free. Like they always allow me to do anything what I want. So this is what I really appreciate to both of my parents. Like they never stop me to do anything like I want. Like when I was a university student, like I wanted to go out overseas to study. They also like never stop me to do anything, but maybe they already given up to stop me most probably <laughs> because I always say I want to do this and then I want to do that.
1: So you say that you want to do this and you want to do that, but if they say no, will you still do it?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what I am.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I. I... I kind of relate. I was the same. (laughs) (laughs) And then when you were really young, what were your hobbies? Were you interested in food a lot? Were you interested in science? What were your interests when you were young?
2: I have been playing sports. I've been playing football, like soccer, more than 20 years. So I really love to play sports almost every day like after school. I was belong to the women football team, and then I, sometimes I even play for now, but it's just like for fun, fun. <laughs> <laughs> for
1: I think I saw on your profile that it says you're like a football athlete. Were you playing competitively, like in between schools or or Japan?
2: Yeah, I was quite playing like very competitive. Like I was belong to the official team for this, and then I play for states and also. When I was at school, I was really like seriously playing for the sports.
1: How about your co-founder? How did you meet you? Were you friends from school? Did you meet at work? <laughs>
2: oh yeah. Same school. He's much older than me.
1: <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah. I can yeah. tell. You look like you're the same age.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a bit different generation. We met at the previous company. We worked together at the consulting company in Japan and Singapore. But maybe Shu can share a little bit what he was doing there, and then I, how, how he found me at the
0: <laughs> yes, sure. When I was thirty years old, and I quit the company in the US company. It's doing the engineering. It's for the making the engine and the spacecraft engine. It's like the SpaceX engine. And then I quit this company and then moved to Japan and then start the farm there. And then at that time, they're using the engineering technology to make the farm. And then the, I make the strawberry and tomato a lot there. And then the, I export our product to the Asia market. At that time, I export to the China and export to Singapore a lot. But because it's just one farm, it's a quantity is very limited. And then it's, it's so hard to find many customers to buy my product. So that's why I combine the old product from the other farm along my farm and then export the volume to the China and the Singapore market. And then the, this kind of thing at that time is so rare business from Japan to the outside of Japan. So that's why I quit the farm job and then expand my capability to the other farmer to help them the outside of Japan. And then. I as the consulting job to the Deloitte company. And then I helped over 600 farmers in Japan to export their product to the Singapore market at that time. And then I go there and find the people and the restaurant, hotel, and then retail customer there. And then I'm only the single man to find any customers. And then I'm only the single man to connect with the Japan farmer. So. I feel like uh, my limitation <laughs> and then I need to have an, uh, another one partner is working in the Southeast Asia market and then I just Google search and group person who can speak English who are interested in the Japan product and export and import something like this, and then I see a meet.
1: so you're just looking among people in Deloitte who can speak English who are interested in Japan
0: <laughs> yes yes then I asked the HR in Deloitte company and then they asked me to join their company at that time and then we meet together and this is our story.
1: So was she working at Deloitte when you reached out to her?
0: At that time, yeah, same as me and finding the main customer in the Singapore market.
1: Oh, okay. It's just that you're not in the same office but both at Deloitte. Yes. Oh, okay. Very interesting. <laughs>
0: After that, you know, we found the uh, Deloitte company is a consulting mm-hmm. company. So it's kind of getting boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's a an <army. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> And then I and Ami is coming from the Android mm-hmm. So maybe we feel like the limitation of the Deloitte company. Mm-hmm. So we create a you know, Deloitte and then start the same business. As.
1: Oh, okay. So you were already working on a similar business to Sekai Marche before Deloitte. And then you were still working on it alone. Even while you're managing your job at Deloitte, you somehow had the time to do all of that and then decided to quit to focus on the company, especially because it's growing and you need somebody else.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh. I feel like there's more potential to do this business. So as only the consult team, and then we help a lot of farm more. But the business-wise, then we feel like the potential. So consulting company to do the business.
1: How did you know it was the right decision to quit already? Was it just because you felt bored with your work at Deloitte? Or did you feel like your business, the farming business, is already very exciting, so it's time to focus? Like, how did you decide to quit your job?
0: It's kind of very difficult to handle the other companies to do this business. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a uh, Deloitte, as a consulting company, is that we have to handle the related company. It's like the farmer and then transporter is Yamato and Sagawa. And then the import is, uh, the company. And then the retail is at uh, and these company And the, we have to manage all as a consulting. So this one is uh, quite difficult to manage because one of them is saying about don't want to do that. And then the consulting company cannot do anything. Got it. So the business speed is quite slow. Beside the market side is bigger and bigger, but the business is getting slower, slower. So I feel like as a more potential, we have to get more that quickly, and then the limitation of the consulting company to do the business.
1: What did you mean by the business was like getting slower and slower? You mean like your job at Deloitte, or do you feel like the farming business was getting slower because you cannot spend time to manage it?
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it takes a time to making the consolidate the whole company, the whole dedicated company to do the same business. It's a very difficult. One farm want to go to China. One farm want to go to Singapore. One farm want to go to Dubai.
1: Oh, okay, so. Since your farming business was so busy and all of those farmers want to expand to different markets, it's better that you quit your job at Deloitte so you can focus on doing those things for the farmers. Right, right, right. How did you even start doing your farming business? Like, how did you decide, okay, I want to make this technology?
0: (laughs) Have you ever done the farming?
1: (laughs) Uh, In my garden, I think. I've planted oh, it, like um, it, um, like cabbage, maybe 100 heads of cabbage, but I only put the seeds and then watch it grow and water it. <laughs> but I didn't pull it out. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I did not yeah. do the harvest. I just put the seeds and watered it.
0: <laughs> just water <motorized. laughs> it. Yes,
1: because <laughs> I was doing it on vacation in my grandparents' backyard. I threw many seeds because they don't have any things for children to do. They said, go to the garden and plant seeds. <laughs> so... I could only plant it and water it because when it was harvest time, I was already back home.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. So
1: I have no real farming experience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, okay. Yeah, my farming is starting from the some accident. You remember that Japan had the big accident at the Fushima. Hmm. At the time, the tsunami is coming to hit the Fushima and the nuclear plant. Yes. As an engineer, I go there and help the nuclear plant to stop to operate because the uh, radiation is uh, going out from the nuclear plant at that time. And then everybody is uh, so scared. So as an engineering, and I go there and I stop there. So at that time, I can just work for two or three hours in a day. And then an- another day is uh, so free and then nothing to do. <laughs> Because of the I have the limitation of the hitting the radiation. Right. right so you can
1: the, only stay for a few hours to stay safe, yeah, right?
0: So, yeah. So another hours are so free. There's nothing to do in the so county area. Then I found the many people are walking at the farm. And then I'm a free. And then I just feel like the I just want to help them.
1: <laughs> because you have nothing to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, using my time and then I helped them. And then I found, oh, farming is so interesting and so, so happy <laughs> for every, every life. So that's why I quit the engineering job and then I moved to the farm. It is uh, my turning point. But as an engineer, to do the farming is a very funny or very happy to do because of at that time, the farming is kind of messy <laughs> <laughs> by the people. I asked the farmer how to grow the strawberry and how to grow the tomato there. And then the they always say, the, just look at my back.
1: Okay. <laughs> so you just watch the, them, something like yeah, that? Yeah,
0: just watching what, what they're doing. They don't have any manual and they don't have any SOP. They don't have any system. So that's fine. I learned a lot of things from their back (laughs) and then i'm making a script to making the some automatically system for example open the window and then control the temperature and then the mixture this kind of thing the fertilizer and then yeah so
1: like iot like iot device
0: iot technology you make it automatically the farming
1: oh okay how did the farmers react to your technology (laughs)
0: So, so surprised by, uh, because uh, I, I'm making the system, they follow followed by their path. So <laughs> they are so surprised and seeing my system.
1: Okay. And then how did you get from like building the technology at the farm to helping them like expand to other markets? Cause I think you mentioned farmers wanted to expand, right?
0: Yeah, because at the time the farmer is almost the elderly age boy is over a 70 years old man, and then their son and daughter is don't want to do the farming again. So that's why the youngest is don't want to do the farming at the time. But with the technology, is the younger people is very interesting in the farming, because they PC and iPhone technology to making the good product. I feel like you know, I can do the contribution for the younger age to the keep the farming technology thing in Japan to the next generation.
1: So because of the technology that they started to use, now their children or their grandchildren don't want to leave the farm. They're interested in working on the farm.
0: Technology can leverage the farming technology to the next generation age. So yeah, this one is quite simple to me.
1: How about like what you mentioned earlier? I think you said that the farmers want to export their products to other markets. How did you help them with that? Like, how did you even decide I'm going to help them sell their products overseas? <laughs> you could have just stopped with building the technology, right? You decided to still do more.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. My time is always being in the all over the world, in the US and the other countries. So I was a Japanese. <laughs> But I don't know about the Japan market so that's why I go out from Japan and then the market outside of Japan is easy for me. So that's why the, I decide to sell the Japan product to the outside of Japan. At that time.
1: And then so when you met Ami at Deloitte, how did you convince her to join you?
0: We feel like the same problem. From the, my side and the farmer's side, it's very difficult to export the product and then sell the product to the consumer in Southeast Asia. This is a farm side problem. But in the Southeast Asia market side, and then very difficult to find a good product from Japan. Very difficult to find a good product and the good farmers from Japan. And then the difficult to distribute the all farmers' goods and then put it in together and send to the consumers. So we feel like the same problem,
2: Mm, yeah, I also still remember the first call like it was only about maybe 20 minutes or so like I chat with Shu. Then when I listened to his funding in Southeast Asia, I really agree on the current situation of the Southeast Asian market. And also the problem was exactly the same as what I was aware. So that's why I think like 20 minutes call it was quite agreeable for me to join. And then I also felt that I can contribute to this project because I was trying to solve my own problems anyway. Even if I didn't join Deloitte, most probably I was trying to solve my own problem. So why not? I join with other members together so I can accelerate to solve my problem.
1: Oh, because you have the same problem. So it's better that you work together to solve it.
2: Yeah, ju- just the viewpoint was same, but from the different position. Like I was more to like a restaurant, like consumer view, but Q was more to like supplier view.
1: So both of you have different sides of the business also. It's like a sort of perfect match, right? He is good with the supply side and you're good with the client side where you're working with the F&B outlets.
2: Mm, mm, mm,
1: I think it's very difficult to find the right co-founder. How did you know that you guys picked the correct people to work with? How did you know that Ami was the correct co-founder? And how did Ami know that Shu was the correct co-founder for her?
0: I don't know if this is the correct decision or not. (laughs) (laughs) But Ami's strength is to convince people to accept our new supply chain system. Because uh, army know about the Malaysian market and the Singapore market as well, and the better than me. So that's why I feel like I find the all right person. <laughs> 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 find the good customer.
1: <laughs> because your skills are complementary because your weakness is maybe her strength. So both of you have something to bring, but those are different things. That's correct. Oh, right. uh, yes. okay. And then what was it like when you were starting to work together? I know that you said that you started working on this F&B business before you joined Deloitte. So when you and Ami started working together, you started the business before you joined Deloitte. So when Ami joined you in 2018, what did the business look like? What did the early days look like?
2: We started in 2018. For the first year, it was I think first year we started with 10 to 20 farmers and uh, started with like 10 restaurants. for the beginning, we started as a small to connect 10 to 20 farmers and then around like 10 restaurants in Malaysia. And then we started to walk into all the farmers and then to the restaurants to grow more platform to connect with. So this is for the initial
1: stage. And how did it change over the past maybe four years from your initial product? Do you have new products now? What did you change?
2: Yep. So we started as vegetables, but now we expand up to 3,000 over products, including vegetables, but not only vegetable fruit, but also uh, seafood and the uh, meat and uh, dry items and mushrooms also, and with more than 300 farmers on board. And then now we are supplying to over 600 hotels and restaurants in Malaysia.
1: And then for the products, maybe the offerings didn't change. Maybe you just increase the kinds of products like from vegetables to eggs, seafood... But maybe the things that really change for maybe your technology, right? Because transporting vegetables versus transporting maybe seafood is very different. So what sort of technology have you guys built to help preserve those foods? Because I think it's perishable, right? So how do you develop the infrastructure? And what's the most difficult part of building the infrastructure to keep those items fresh?
2: The most challenging part for our Farm Direct platform is the fulfillment system. So since it's perishables, so there's no existing warehouse management system to cope with our farm direct supply chain. So we needed to uh, build our own one. So the past few years, we really concentrate on building our own warehouse management system which is not really available from any other uh, like system suppliers. So this is the most challenging part and the most things we were focusing on. And then now we are also uh, building our own AI demand forecast to uh, match the demand and supply and then to shorten the delivery timeframe. So this is the current challenge for us.
1: The thing I was curious about is that you guys source the products from not just Japan, right? But also other places in Southeast Asia. Where are your farmers based most of the time? Japan and what other countries?
2: 70% of our farmers are located in Malaysia right now. So the rest of 30% come from Japan and from the other countries. But in terms of the number of products and the farmers, 70% are in Malaysia for Malaysian market consumers.
1: Okay, so if the 70% are in Malaysia, where do the other 30% send their produce to? Do they send it to Malaysia also internationally or in their own country? Like the Japanese farmers supply to Japanese.
2: Now we supply to Malaysian market. 100% now we supply to Malaysian market. But the source of the products come from locally, like Malaysia. And then the 30% come from Japan. Majority are from Japan to Malaysia. But some we take from like China and the other countries to sell to Malaysian market.
1: Why are there still farmers from Japan? Is it because they have special products that are not available in Malaysia? Yes, yes. Yeah, is the main
2: reason. So since there are some products, especially for seasonal products like fruit, Seafood, all those are not available in Malaysian market our Southeast Asia. So we import from overseas and also some of the products uh, available, but is a little bit different quality. And in Japan now, uh, the government is promoting the export of the agricultural products to be sustainable farming for Japan as well, because there is a population going down in Japan. So they need to expand to the overseas to be more sustainable of the agricultural
1: industry. What's the sort of biggest impact of your product or technology to your customers, whether that's the farmers or whether that's the hotels? Like what is the impact in their business or their lives?
2: Mm. Our aim is always to contribute to the income of the farmers and also of the restaurants. So we are changing the supply chain to be direct uh, from the farm to consumer. So means that supply chain is uh, becoming the quite simple, but we don't go through a lot of middlemen. So we actually can maximum the value of the products to the farm and to the restaurant. So farmer, they can decide the price by themselves to maximum their income. And then the restaurant, they can buy the products with good quality, like higher quality. I mean, the more fresh, but lesser price. Yeah, more fair price to them. So this is our aim to be, always to contribute to their sustainable income for the restaurant and for the farmers.
1: How much does that impact to them? Do restaurants maybe save 30% of their usual price? Do farmers earn maybe 20% more? Like, what would it look like for them?
2: At this moment, it depends on the products. But general, let's say in Malaysia, from the farm to restaurant, there are three to four middlemen in between. Oh, three to four,
1: just in Malaysia. Very interesting.
2: Yeah, so if this case, I think, let's say example, each player mark up like 20 to 30%, then it will be, I think, more than triple price than our price. But of course, depend on the volume as well. So we cannot simply say like triple price, but yeah, the supply chain structure itself is different.
1: Oh, okay. So it's even like just for one person, they can add a markup of 20% in some cases. And then there might even be three to four people in in the process. Mm -hmm. So that's how big the difference would be for the farmers and the restaurant owners, which is huge. And that's only for Malaysia uh not only in malaysia it is
2: same as everywhere so in japan it is same also japan as well and then like if you go through more than a few middlemen there is no transparency so you don't know where where it's coming from and then like it is very limited choices because you can't really stick to the particular farmer or production areas so if you buy pineapple, yeah, just one pineapple, as long as it's pineapple, yeah, the middleman will sell to you. But our platform, you can choose like the pineapple MD two from the farm in Alo Gaja. So this is like more consistent quality because we stick to this transparent, and the price also like it's not so fluctuated because it doesn't go through other middlemen.
1: So apart from the, the price and the quality, at least the look, even maybe the taste would be more consistent, right? Because you're getting from the same yes. farmer every time versus maybe the usual process. Maybe one middleman has 10 farmers and they mix all the pineapples. <laughs> so some are good, some are not yeah. that good. Yeah, that's
2: one of the reasons our restaurants stick to our platform because you can always choose the farm and then like can have more consistent quality. So like if you go to this Restaurant today, today's pineapple juice will be the same as tomorrow pineapple juice. But if you take from the middleman today tomorrow, maybe it could be different. Like pineapple could be coming from like different farmers.
1: Yes, but you can't do anything because that's what came from your supplier. <laughs> yep.
2: So you can have wider options and choices because we show. Yeah, this pineapple is from uh, MD two. is' from Alo and then this pineapple Josephine from this farmer. So you will have more wider choices, options.
1: So I want to ask, what do you do in your daily life? Like what is your typical day at work?
0: Most of the time, we want to spend the time with the farmer because the farmer product is the most interesting to the consumer. So I and Amian has to go to the farm to see the product and then how they grow there. And this kind of the farmer pride that we have to explain to the consumer. So that's why the most of time, and we go there the farm side, and then also the we go and lunch and dinner at the restaurant side. How they cook using the farmer product, and then we are making the photo, and then some kind of the cooking technology and some kind of the cooking method, and then the send this kind of the feedback to the farmer. So we go restaurant, and then we go farm, and then we know each other, and then how we can. Contribute to the both side of the customer. So, the most of the time that we spend it.
1: So maybe for the farmers, this is the first time they actually see what happened to their pineapple. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 because our company is really making the impact to the farm, especially for the small farmer. Even in the Japan, in the same. The farmer is kind of the family business. It's kind of the one or two men is making the product. And then the, this farmer is never go to the city and then never finding the customer. But now is a, through our platform, they can see the old customer in the city who they never touched before. So they see their product is heading to the Hilton and then St. Regis as high-end hotel. And they are so exciting to see.
1: Yeah. Cause they never even been there. They're probably really proud their pineapple is being served there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so that's fine. And I feel like so contribution to the farmer, especially, yeah, even all the small farmers, small farmers, and then I feel the so contribution to them.
1: Right. Because it's, as you said, if it's just two people working on the farm, and since they're so busy, they never really go out, probably very yes. hard work every day. And getting yeah. to see what happens to their produce probably makes them realize, oh, this is what I am working for making people enjoy their food or enjoy their time together uh, in this nice yeah. restaurant or hotel,
0: yeah, they never see the uh, they put the fireworks on the pineapple never
1: oh I have never seen <laughs> that either <laughs> <laughs> so that their pineapple has fireworks like or sparklers yeah, in the restaurant, okay
0: the hotel is.
1: <laughs> what are the most interesting dishes that you've seen were created by the produce sold by your platform? So there's the pineapple with fireworks. What else is there? <laughs> is there a flying fish or something like that?
0: <laughs> uh for example in japan it's a uh, it's a catching some the, thumb, the it's some some kind of the uh, deation leaf you know the momiji leaf and then sakura leaf it's kind of the yeah. Different shape. And then the Malaysian market is a more on the high-end restaurant and hotel using as a decoration use.
1: Oh, but that comes from the farm? The leaves.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. But the farm never never heard of about well, the restaurant and the hotel using the leaves.
1: Yeah, it's a leaf.
0: <laughs> For the farm side, it's just leaf. It's a dropping. Yeah, <laughs> they can
1: they can put it in the trash, <laughs> right? Yeah. In the farm.
0: And then they are picking up the (laughs) normal leaf and then send it to the Malaysian. And Malaysian people, oh, this looks so nice. This is (laughs) high-end.
1: The leaf is high-end.
0: One pocket is around uh, 40 ringgit. So
1: $10
0: 10, $10 over. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Let me check.
1: Oh, yeah. Almost $10 for for that. For a leaf.
0: (laughs) Just pick up from their garden,
1: <laughs> and do, then do,
0: make, making the $10 money. So yeah, this kind of thing is a very, yeah, never experienced before.
1: Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Even for me, I'm yeah. amazed. <laughs> okay. And for the farmers that you work with, usually these are family owned farms. So how small is the typical client? So two farmers you said, oh. or like, what is the range?
0: Our farmer is mostly the family business range. Okay. Those uh, bigger farmer can have the people to sell. Oh, product. yeah. So that's why our platform user is mostly for the smallholder small
1: farmer. farmer. Oh, okay. And then when you were farming yourself, um, how did you see the sort of farming experience? Like, what is it like to actually farm? For us people who have never worked on a farm before, can you share a little bit about what it's like to plant and harvest at a farm and like the sort of journey there is like at this point, do you ship it to somebody? Like what is a journey of an average crop until it gets to the restaurant? Normally the
0: farmer doesn't know about the demand. I think the 90 percent, the farmer is just making the product by themselves.
1: Oh, so they and just then, choose any seed that they feel like
0: yeah, planting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mostly the farmer is the hearing about the, which product is the most making the money. For example, the farmer, other farmer is, is saying about the, this pineapple is making money a lot. And then the farmer decides to make the, this pineapple seed. And then okay. after seeding, after growing, it's mostly taking the two or three months. Then after two or three months, And then the most of the farmer is making the same variety of pineapple. Three months ago, everybody is saying about the, this pineapple is making a (laughs) money. Yes. So so that's why every farmer is making the same pineapple. And then after the three months, many, many same pineapple is coming to the market. And then price is much going down.
1: Yes. Cause not, so it's not making any money anymore.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 This is farming. This is journey of farming. (laughs) Okay. So the, mostly the 99% of farming yeah. farmer doesn't know about the demand. So that's why the farming business is not sustainable. It's kind of the gamble. I see. Yeah. And
1: then like, what is the journey after it is harvested? Where do they usually send the crop if they don't have a worker as you said, the bigger farms have a worker to do that. But if there's no worker, how do they find the middleman who will take their pineapple and bring it to the next person or the, the customer? Is it somebody in the village usually? Or is there somebody who travels there and gets it from them?
0: Normally, the supply chain is a bit limited for the old farmer because the traditional supply chain is always there. And then middleman is taking the old product from the farmer and then sent it to the market. And then market decide the price. And then the after decide the price in the market, and then the middleman is can pay back to the farmer. Means the farmer is selling to the middleman, doesn't know about the this product price.
1: I see. He just knows how much he has paid.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... Well, sometimes the farmer is the selling the, data, the pineapple product to the middleman, and then they expect the $1 per each. But the middleman is selling to the market at the one, one piece, maybe the 10 cent And then the farmer just know about after the middleman and the selling to the market. Oh, oh, my product is just 10 cents. So this is the normal. This is the typical, the farming supply chain. That's why the farmer is always gambling. As market price high, it's lucky they get the money. But market price low, they die. So that's why now we want to change this market. And then we have the fixed price. And then we pay this fixed price to the farmer. Never changing the market. Uh, depends on the market price. Then the farmer know about uh, this product and how many products they are making. And then making this much money. So they can think about the planning
1: Instead of just hearing from their neighbor that they should plant this kind of Instagram.
0: seed. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then I also want to ask about your plans now after you've raised your Series A. I think maybe Ami can share that. I heard that you're expanding to other markets now.
2: The past four years, we've supplying all to Malaysia market. So the, to the restaurant in Malaysia, hotel restaurant in Malaysia. But we've just started to expand to Singapore market so since we already have uh, over three hundred farmers on board, so we also tried to open the new markets, which is a Singapore, to supply to hotel and the restaurant in Singapore. Yes, this is our current expansion.
1: Got it. And then, what's it like to try to expand internationally for the first time? Like, what is the process like for maybe other founders who are thinking about expanding to new markets? What can you share to them?
2: I think Singapore, we almost expand in the same way we've done in Malaysia because it's just nearby, and then a lot of producers actually they import uh, from Malaysia. So we are going to expand us with our current end-to-end procurement solutions just to extend until to Singapore market. So it's not so big challenge for us.
1: Okay, so maybe hotels and restaurants already import from Malaysia. So for them, it's not very different. Like if they're already importing from Malaysia, having somebody new to supply them is not much of a big shock because it's from the same country. And it's, you're also offering the same product. I mean, like the yep. direct to like, farm-to-table solution.
2: Yeah, just we could have more wider varieties because we already directly with more than 300 farmers. And then we can also uh, ensure the quality because we built our end-to-end supply chain for those farmers' products. So the products could be wider choices and then with more like precious quality to supply to Singapore market.
1: Also, I'm really curious, you and Shu are both Japanese, right? I don't think both any of you grew up in Malaysia, right? You only moved to Malaysia for work. Mm. What is it like to be sort of expatriate workers? or expat founders in a market that is not their home country? What is your experience trying to build a business in a new country like Malaysia? Was it very difficult to adjust or start your business? Because I'm sure it's different, definitely, from building in your home country. So first question is, why Malaysia? And then the second would be, you know, what was your experience trying to launch a business in Malaysia as Japanese or foreigners?
2: I think I never... Done any business in Japan. So my first time my own business was already in Malaysia. So like in 2014, before Deloitte, I was doing my own business in Malaysia, which was my first time for my own business. So I I didn't really have anything to compare, like starting in Japan and starting in overseas. And then I didn't have any like idea to compare with. Japan and overseas, maybe because I was studying in the US, so I didn't have any mindset, like I need to start again. And then maybe it was not so challenging for me because I didn't know anything. You know, sometimes you don't know anything, then it's an advantage (laughs) sometimes, right? So (laughs) if I knew that, maybe I wouldn't start in overseas, but I just didn't have any idea so that's why I just jumped in without any knowledge.
1: Your first business was the P business, right? The T and F and P outlet in Malaysia. Right, correct. Wait, why did you decide to start it in Malaysia anyway? Like, why not Singapore? Why not another country? How did you decide Malaysia?
2: <laughs> For Sikai Manche, we choose here a few reasons why. But the first, Malaysia had the production So in Singapore, even though like the market is there and then the living standard is higher, but not much produces like production, no farmers. But Malaysia, yeah, there are many farmers. This is one thing. And then another most important reason was is to see the aggregation of the farmers and then the demand. So what we are doing is to build the supply chain to connect the farmers' supply and the consumer, which is demand. So the supply and demand needs to be very aggregated in the same areas. So easy for us to connect with. So here in Malaysia, we have only a few uh, biggest production areas, which is like Cameroon Highland and Genting Highland. And then the consumption areas, the demand is mostly in KL, like Lumpur. So it's easier for us to consolidate the demand and then the supply because both so supply and demand
1: are very aggregated in the same areas. So something that a lot of people tend to be curious about is sort of the personal life of founders because I think they read the fundraise announcement, they read about how much the business is growing, but they want to hear about like, what are these people like when they shut off their laptop and leave the office? So what do both of you like to do for fun? Like if you're not working, what do you do? I think Ami plays football, but now she can't answer football. What else? What else does she do? And definitely, Shu is not farming for fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
0: pineapple? I <do>. Oh, really? <laughs> I do. Not no, 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 no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no pineapple. No. <laughs> so, so what do you do for fun, both of you?
0: I just like eating and drinking. So. <laughs>
1: You said that you're farming still? Do you do gardening?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think maybe in the near future, i making the grape farm and then the making the winery there and then drink wine and be there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So when you're not eating, drinking or gardening slash farming, what else do you do? Do you like sports, reading, movies?
0: Sports, <laughs> moving, swimming, no, no. I don't care about... bye I don't care about the other than eating.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> How about Ami? I, what does she I, like to do outside of work? I still like to play sports because
2: I've been playing football since I was little. I think playing sports like football is the most enjoyable time for me. Or sleep. <laughs> just sleeping. Or just oh, to walk the bed and sleep. <laughs>
1: This is actually the first time I've interviewed two co-founders at the same time. So I want to try something different. Can one of you share something that you noticed or know about each other? So maybe Ami can share something about Shu that she's noticed maybe working with him for the past four years. And you can share something about Ami. It could be something about working style or personality or hobbies (laughs) that you notice about each other. What I
2: noticed recently, he looks like very uh like funny, like fun, like funny, and then sometimes he doesn't really care about like small things. But I just noticed recently he's really like serious to the work more than any others. Yeah,
0: say serious, so So responsible.
2: Responsible, (laughs) I understand, but like. uh, Responsible is, yes, responsible. This is what I knew already, but is
1: dedication, maybe. Like he looks like more, maybe carefree, but then you notice that he be- really cares about the work, maybe. Like very yes. dedicated. Um, th- something uh, dedicated, yeah. Dedicated, yes, yes. And how about you? Maybe he's noticed something about you, your personality or you at
0: work. I feel like the army is more... Bigger person, but small.
1: Short. <laughs> <Sure>. Yeah.
0: And <laughs> <Very> small. <Sure. laughs>
1: so don't judge by the appearance. She is bigger messages. bigger than you think. So yeah. if somebody's listening yeah. and they're going to have a meeting with her, they should not underestimate yeah.
0: her. <laughs> yeah, actually, honestly, the, when I met her in the real meeting, the first time, I was in the Japan and he, he was in... Malaysia, and we do the web meeting, like, it's kind of zoom, like this. And then the, no, read. no camera at the time. is the, oh, it's just, it's sound. A, just
2: the voice.
0: <laughs> yeah, just the voice. And then I do the interview with her. Yeah, just uh, the first call,
2: right? Uh-huh.
0: And then the last time that I found her, the Google say the she is the kind of the Malay tiger. And there's some article is saying about the Malay tiger
1: <laughs> so there's an article saying that she is a Malay tiger that's her yeah
0: <laughs> so that's why the my army image is a Malay tiger and then
1: <laughs> oh because you saw that article and then you didn't see her face and then when you saw her in person you were amazed
0: <laughs> so this was this one, the one I didn't know about her and then now now She Mm. had a kids now. Baby. Baby. Mm. As a baby is a one, one and four months. Mm -hmm. And then I, I saw her life is most dedicated to only work. I think she's never go the home and then take care of the kids and something like that. So after having the kids and she's getting back to the home so early (laughs) and then they start the school (laughs) and then start to nothing, nothing, nothing. This one, I I didn't expect.
1: Every day, Uh, I could not. You know, that's very interesting. Like, because I have been interviewing some female founders and some of them are talking about, you know, becoming a mother. And then some people, even outside of podcasts, they share to me like, oh, I don't know how I will be as a mother because I'm very serious about my work. So I think Ami can be a good example. Like you're very serious at work, but you can also be a dedicated mother at the same time. Because I think there's an image of career woman that you, I cannot be a mother because I have no capacity because I'm very focused on my career or all I know to do is uh, my career. But I think she can yeah. be a good example that you can be both at the same time.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. When I was younger, I never
2: thought about like having the kids. But now I can say it's good to have, the better to have kids. Like any, any I think the entrepreneurs, I, I think
1: it's also good experience like the different experience How do you sort of manage now that you're also a mother to sort of balance your work life and your personal life? I think some parents shared to me that actually after becoming a parent, their time management is better
2: (laughs) because they have to go home. (laughs) I I will strongly recommend to any woman entrepreneurs to have kids in Malaysia. It's it's, It's very, it's very, like I couldn't continue the life like this in Japan because like Japan is not really uh well developed for uh, this kind of like baby care and uh, any like system for to support for the families. So, but Malaysia, I think like it's very common to use any services and also the people are more uh friendly to the kids. So, uh, I think Philippines, I think should be same. I right. think so. Yeah. Yeah. but in Japan, like you use. Don't see a lot of founders,
1: but because of sort of the infrastructure, maybe there are more nannies or more more way to sort of support your children outside just you. Because I think most Japanese families I see, it's the mom is doing everything for the children. But here, yeah, maybe yeah, so. you have more support. Like I think I see like grandparents are helping or um, household helpers are helping. So that allows oh, yeah. you to focus on your work during the work hours, then go home and you know allow yourself to cook and do all the motherly things. Yeah. And the, even maybe like
2: COVID, like, uh, gives you more options. Like some companies provide like remote work, like work from home, all those. So some of our staffs, like, yeah, ladies, they also work from home sometimes. We don't require them to come every day to the office. So it could be wider options for the, uh, women, like ladies to work in Southeast Asia. I mean, like, say, uh, Malaysia, this is a bit different from Japan.
1: If you are open to answering this question, I think it would be really helpful because I think um, there have been some people I interviewed and some people I spoke with, you know, outside of the podcast. And they say that, I don't know how to work if I am a mother because they feel like if they are the founder, maybe their team members or their co-founders will not look at them positively if they have children because maybe they'll say that, oh, their focus is different already. What is your experience with that situation? This one never happened to me, So you never experienced that sort of problem where you feel like your team members or maybe your co-founder, like I'm not saying anything bad about Shu. <laughs> maybe <if> you. Maybe <laughs> you feel like they might judge you for having children because you maybe have different focus now.
2: Depends, I think like if you are uh, always confident what you are doing, then I don't think it's a uh, problem. But Maybe some people feel like guilty, Seriously. but as long as you can manage uh, what you are doing and what you are forecast, it's all dependent on
1: oneself. It's not by the others. And just because you have children doesn't mean you will underperform at work. And that's also not my oh, yes. experience. Yep, yep, yeah. I,
2: I even feel like uh, I can perform well with more efficient. I don't really feel like guilty of, because of this. And then it shouldn't be, right? Because it's a joy <laughs> other people actually don't really think about this too much as you think so it's all depend on the person like the ladies feel guilty actually what i believe is, is is it's your own problem
1: it's not like from the others so sometimes it's just that maybe you think of it but the other people actually are not thinking that way I think that's such a great answer. I'm really thankful you shared that. <laughs> but I think to, to wrap up, I have one question for each of you. And this is a question I ask everybody for the podcast. So it would be great if both of you could answer it. Outside of work, what's one thing you want to achieve in your personal life? Whatever that might be and whenever you want to do it. <laughs>
0: I think uh, I want to use my all time to my phone That is my answer to 10 years with For your one. family, yeah, and
1: maybe you have your vineyard. So you have a family and a vineyard, <laughs> and that's all of the time you spend. That's your ideal goal. Yes. Okay, I've been
2: saying like I want to make a small uh, craft space to make, you know, the place.
1: Oh, like um pottery, the spinning like that, right? Pottery with the clay. Yeah, yeah. I oh. want to.
2: My small, like, art craft space room um, studio. Yeah, yeah, something uh, like a studio. Yeah, and then do like making the plates, everything.
1: Is this for you and your house or also for the public?
2: Ah, it, it's just uh, my private
1: private space. So you can do the pottery, make a plate, or cup yeah, or anything. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. So, like, most of my time is like spending on the service, like to deal with other clients. So I never done this kind of farming or any uh, factory to make the product
1: by myself. to so make something of your own from the start of the process until the end. Very interesting. Well, thank you so much, Ami and Shu. I really enjoyed speaking with you. It's very fun to have two people to speak to instead of just one. <laughs> thank
2: you, very, thank you much, very much, Amanda. Nice talking to you.